0: So, a friend of mine recently had his car broken into. Now, before you worry too much, he's the type of person that doesn't keep anything in his car, and so the only thing that got stolen was an iPhone charger. But this, of course, was unsettling for him, and he wanted to know how this could have happened, especially to someone like him. And it turns out that his car was broken into not because a window was shattered or the lock was jimmied, but because he forgot to lock the rear driver's side door the invader snuck in and ransacked his car by a way that my friend thought was secure. And this is something that happened quite a few times to the city of Sardis. Uh, Sardis was this mountaintop city. So on three sides you would have a 1,500-foot precipice, and on the fourth side was this winding mountainous road to get up there. It was an impregnable military stronghold. So much so that if someone were to say to you that you're trying to capture Sardis, they're saying that you're trying to do the impossible. But there were a few times that the impossible was done. People were able to come in and capture Sardis, and each time the city fell, it had one common trait. It was lazy. The guards on duty would only station them at the front entrance. They wouldn't pay any attention to the other three sides, thinking that no one would be able to scale the unscalable precipice. However, each time the city fell, it, became, it was because an invader came in by a way that they thought was secure. And tonight we're going to see that the church of Sardis really hasn't learned its lesson from their history. And Jesus is warning them not to repeat it. Now if you're joining us for the first time, we're looking at seven letters that Jesus, through the Apostle John, wrote to seven churches in the first century. Each letter is a bit like a a review of that church. Jesus, through some very interesting imagery, is pulling back the curtain. He's revealing what's going on within them and what they need to do based on that revelation. And we're looking at them because we, too, are under review. Just as Jesus condones and condemns things in these churches, so I want us to examine ourselves and see where these things that Jesus condones and condemns might be showing up in our lives as well. And so we're going to approach our text tonight a little differently, simply because Jesus approaches the church in Sardis a little differently. So let's just dive right in. So the second part of verse 1 reads that I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Now this is one of two reviews that Jesus has absolutely nothing good to say about the church. But I want you to catch something here. Jesus doesn't condemn them for doing nothing, he condemns them for doing a lot of things. They are out doing a lot of things, so much so that it looks like they're alive. Whatever they're doing, this church and the individuals that make it up look like they are a thriving Christian community. And I want you to help me think through that a little bit. What do you think gave them this reputation of being alive? Or, or let's, let's put it even more generally. What do you look for to determine if someone is actually a Christian? if they're actually spiritually alive. So what 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 indicators are there? Anyone? How about personal devotions? Right? So that'd be like reading your Bible, praying, etc. Do you want me just to fill it in or you guys want to weigh in? About, um, how about, how um, about, why don't we say like service or or good deeds, right? So w- the things that we do, or how about um, a lack of sin, right? Uh, the things that we don't do. Um, perhaps we could say that um, someone who is spiritually alive is growing in knowledge, or they have some Doctrinal soundness, right? And this is addressed to a church, right? It's not just an individual. And oftentimes, when a church is alive, they are um, they're they're growing numerically. Numerically, there we go. All right. And so, if we saw this somewhere, we would say, "Look at those A plus gold star Christians. Good for them." But Jesus ha- has a different perspective. He says, these people, they're actually dead. And, and it's meant to shock us. It's meant for us to say, well, hold up, Jesus. Do you, do you not see everything they're doing? How can these people be dead? And, and the best way I think I can explain it uh, is to think of them like a flower. Okay? Okay? flower, it's beautiful, it's in bloom, it looks great, but it's cut off from the root. Uh, You know, giving someone flowers is a very fascinating process when you think about it because you're really, literally giving someone dead stuff. But we all forget about that because they look so beautiful, right? And they can actually last for some time. If you remember to water them and put the little, like, plant food that no one ever uses into the jar, it can last for a while. But the reality is, it's still dead. It doesn't matter how beautiful it looks, since it's cut off from the root system, it's dead. It may take a while for the deadness to catch up, but make no mistake, if it's cut off from the roots, it's dead. And this can happen to Christians as well. They're doing these things, and generally speaking, they look quite alive. But the reality is, they're cut off. And it may take some time for that cut-offness to show up, especially if you sprinkle in a winter retreat here or a summer mission trip there. But eventually the deadness will show up. And so the important question that we have to ask is, what caused this? What caused the church in Sardis to be cut off from the roots? And you might conclude, based on Jesus' language, that the reason they are dead is because they were never alive in the first place. Uh, and, and this line of thought really comes from um, a motif or a metaphor that the Bible uses a lot to talk about Christians and non-Christians. They're dead or alive. Like the, the classic passage for it would be Ephesians 2. If you haven't read it recently, go read it. It's amazing. But in Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul uh, is telling us that before Jesus, we were dead. We were dead in our sins. We couldn't do anything, just dead. right? But then after Jesus, because of God's grace, we have been made alive. And so you could look at that and say, well, if they're dead, that means they were never alive. But I I think we're we're missing something. Listen to how Jesus commands them in verses 2 and 3. He says, Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Notice what Jesus commands them to do. He wants them to wake up. Last time I checked, that is not something you say to a dead person. You say that to someone that is asleep and needs to get up. See, the problem isn't that they weren't saved, but rather that they weren't vigilant. Uh, To be vigilant means that you are on high alert, that you are on lookout for any type of danger or threat. It's the the word we would use to describe the Secret Service as they protect the President of the United States. That the success or failure of their mission depends on how vigilant they are. And likewise, the success of the the Sardine Church uh, depends on their vigilance. The problem is they have a history of complacency of thinking that they're good, that we checked that a few days ago, we're fine. And each time they became complacent, their city fell. A thief snuck in when they didn't expect it, and they fell. And they really aren't the only ones, are they? Uh, We all struggle with vigilance and complacency. I had a friend, uh, he's a few years younger than me, but excellent student, super high scores on the ACT, just breezed through all of his AP courses, and he goes to college, and he almost flunked out of his first semester, like, dude, what happened? How did that happen to you? And he became complacent. He's like, I don't need to work at this. I don't need to try and strive, I'm good. And he almost lost his scholarship over it because he became complacent. And that was very helpful for me to figure out what's going on with complacency. What causes us to, be, to spiritually fall asleep? And at its base, complacency is always a manifestation of pride. At its base, con- complacency is believing, I'm good. Right? The people of Sardis thought that they were secure. They didn't need to check the back. We're fine. Their pride got the best of them. So too my friend, thought that he didn't need to strive or try, he's good. He's been good before, why wouldn't he be good now? Complacency is believing that you're sufficient when the reality is you're not. It's like the flower saying to the root, root system, no, nah, no, nah, I'm good, I got this. I can bloom and be alive on my own. And so the problem is that Sardis is cut off from the root system. The cause of this problem is complacency and thinking that they don't actually need to be connected to the root system. So what's the solution? And here's where our knee-jerk reaction kicks in, and it's the wrong reaction. Uh, something will happen that makes us realize that we are complacent. Either it will be a high, like we go to Skyview or something like that, or it will be a low, like we sin in such a startling way that we're like, whoa, I need to change something now. A- and we redouble our efforts. We do these things. But if we can be honest with each other, that normally fizzles out in two to three weeks. That's been my experience, anyway. We become complacent once again, and here's why I think that is. These things are not life-giving in and of themselves. You can read your Bible and not be nourished in in the least because you can do so and still be complacent. You can open the Bible and think to yourself, I will feed myself today. I will make myself alive from this text, or I will combat sin everywhere it shows up in my life. You're doing the right things, but you're still complacent because you're doing so from a a belief, a conviction that you yourself are sufficient. See, the petals are only nourishing if the flower is connected to the root system. And so the solution isn't to do more things, but rather to be vigilant. And you've probably pieced that together. But you may have noticed that I didn't actually define what it means to be vigilant as a Christian. Being spiritually vigilant means to pay attention to our proximity to Jesus. It's being on high alert to our need to be close to him. The believers in Sardis had become complacent, not because they stopped doing these things but because they were doing them separated from the root system. And so the solution is to strengthen what remains, to reconnect to the source. And verse 3 tells us how to do that. We are to remember then what you received and heard, to keep it and repent. Now this isn't the first time that Jesus has given this command to the churches, to remember and repent, but it bears re-examining if this is the way we reconnect to the root system, we need to know (laughs) what we need to remember and repent of. And the thing we have to remember is this, we are insufficient. If you're anything like me, you don't like to admit that. You would prefer not to admit that you need help, that you are in need. We like to present ourselves as if we have it all together. And what Jesus invites the believers in Sardis to do, and us 2,000 years later, is to remember exactly who we are, that we were dead men and women, that we did not make ourselves spiritually alive, which means that we cannot keep ourselves spiritually alive. If you want to stay alive, you have to remain connected to the source. And the times that we don't, the times that we inevitably become complacent and get a big head and think that we can sustain ourselves, we repent. And I want to be crystal clear on the relationship here, Vigilance is not just doing these things more. Vigilance is being on high alert of our need for Jesus. Vigilance is looking for the slightest hint of complacent pride and squashing it. And, And that's actually why we do these things. We do these things because they keep us close, because they are a declaration of need. When we pray... We are acknowledging our dependence. When we abstain from sin, it's because we long to be near him and that puts a wedge between us. But if we don't do these things with a posture of remembering and repenting, we're really just cutting the flower off the roots. And so the solution here for the church and for us is not try harder to stay awake. Rather, the solution is to acknowledge our tendency to fall asleep to confess and repent of our tendency to be complacent and to repent of our pride and our self-sufficiency. And remember that it is Jesus that made and keeps us spiritually alive. And so the call is really quite simple. Wake up.